Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This time on Vet Story. Actions that happened at Roberts Ridge and uh, Navy SEAL element um, went up there to try to find him and rescue him. Anybody got a visual? A uh, technical sergeant named Chapman that he continued to fight um, quite bravely bravely and heroically engaged in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. You know, he literally fought to the last bullet. SEALs had to retreat off of the mountaintop because of the amount of fire uh, they were taking at the time. But they made some difficult decisions under fire, and I'm sure they regret it more than anybody at this point. Situation where the Air Force rightly wants to put Chapman in for a Medal of Honor. Master Chief Petty Officer Britt Slabinski, the SEAL, who is also up for this Medal of Honor. But this is a a scandal for the Navy because if that Medal of Honor citation is true, it's almost like a a clash between what the public wants to believe or what the Navy wants the public to believe about warfare and what it actually is. Welcome to Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. And this time, we're going to talk about a controversy where you normally never find controversy the Medal of Honor. And the guy who's reporting gives you a glimpse into the special operations community every day. My name is Jack Murphy. I'm the editor-in-chief of softrep.com, which is a website that covers news primarily about special operations and the intelligence community. And uh, my background is in uh, Army Special Operations. I served in the Ranger Regiment and then in Special Forces. I got out of the Army and uh, got a degree in political science and have been working as a journalist now for um, about seven years. Jack, welcome to Vet Story. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I got to say that it's a rare breed that uh, somebody with such finely tuned journalism chops is also a special operator. So it's a pleasure to meet you. If I say I've been stalking you on Twitter for uh, the last year, please don't take that the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) No, I appreciate that. I mean, I do the best I can. I hope we cover some, you know, interesting stories that you're not going to hear from uh, other outlets. And it's to that, I'm glad we have you on the phone because there's a couple controversies going on right now that uh, what we want to talk about with you. The Medal of Honor controversy, and I, it almost seems weird to say there's a controversy with something about the Medal of Honor because normally we just think these awards are given to warfighters whose heroism and valor is unquestioned. But now we find ourselves in this weird situation where there's an Air Force service member and a Navy SEAL both up for the Medal of Honor. And they seemingly are at odds with each other. 
Talk to me about Operation Anaconda. The story revolves around actions that happened at Roberts Ridge um, when Roberts was, you know, he fell out of the back of a helicopter and was left behind on a mountaintop. And uh, Navy SEAL element um, went up there to try to find him and rescue him. And in the course of that firefight that they got into, they lost a uh, technical sergeant named Chapman. Um, he was shot, and uh, they pres- presumably he was deceased. So they, uh, the SEALs had to retreat off of the mountaintop because of the amount of fire uh, they were taking at the time. And over the years, new evidence has come out from drone footage and so forth uh, showing that Chapman didn't actually, he wasn't actually deceased at that time that he continued to fight um, quite bravely, bravely and heroically, expended all of his ammunition. Um, it appears that he may even have engaged in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy uh, until he was killed. He, you know, he literally fought to the last bullet. So now we fast forward and we're in this situation where the Air Force rightly wants to put Chapman in for a Medal of Honor um, for his actions. But this is a a scandal for the Navy because if that Medal of Honor citation is true, then it upsets the narrative they've always held that uh, that Chapman was deceased when they left the mountaintop. Um, It makes it seem that the SEALs left the man behind. Um, I'm not one to criticize what the operators on the ground did. I, I don't think that they did anything that was immoral, illegal, or unethical. I think they made difficult decisions under combat conditions. And, uh, and it seems that they made a mistake. You know, they thought he was dead and he wasn't. Um, so we would sit back and tear up on those guys, but they made some difficult decisions under fire, and I'm sure they regret it more than anybody at this point. Now, 16 years after that Al-Qaeda ambush in eastern Afghanistan, Air Force Combat Controller Sergeant John Chapman and U.S. Navy SEAL Master Chief Britt Slabinski are both up for the Medal of Honor. Well, in this case, I think they made a mistake. I don't think it was an, an intentional, you know, let's leave this guy behind. I, I think they, they, they made a mistake, and it happens in war. Um, I have definitely heard of other cases, of course, of dev group um, leaving people behind on objectives. Um, it happened to several rangers on several different operations where they, the dev group guys did not get proper accountability for all personnel and left soldiers behind on the objective. Uh, that has happened more than once. Um, and, you know, the Ranger community is, um, I guess you could say, perturbed <laughs> over that situation to this day. Thankfully, both of those soldiers survived. You know, they launched the QRF, they went out and got them, and everything turned out okay at the end of the day. Um, but, I mean, that's the kind of mess you can get into. And I know out there, the decisions never come easy. Um, you know, I told you I follow you on Twitter, and uh, you know I don't want to get into any specific names on Twitter, but I found this one post within a thread you're in, totally interesting, and it said, uh, talking about a situation kind of like this, the writer says, um, uh, yeah, they did it to a sniper 2010-ish, apparently A&A started to lose their so the DevGrew guy left the Bat Boy alone during the firefight. Uh, Bat Boy then took a round, uh, almost killed, and had to uh, bound alone and wounded uh, before he got back to the main element. Um, First question, Bat Boy. What's Bat Boy? Uh, it's just a, a guy who's serving in Ranger Battalion. Ah, Bat okay. being short for battalion. Yeah, yeah, okay. Nickname for an ass kicker. Okay, very cool. Um, with respect to what that post wrote, that's actually like a real-life scenario that, that he'd seen happen. Yeah, and we see it all the time in, in, in combat, um, you know, and 
quite frankly, there are other Medal of Honor citations that are not quite accurate. And I, I think that's what's interesting about this story is it, not that the soldiers on the ground zigged when they should have zagged. I think what's interesting is that the services, um, specifically the Navy in this case, has this desperation to spin a heroic narrative around what happened out there, the same way they did with Operation Red Wings. Now, important to note that the Operation Red Wings that Jack's referring to is, of course, one of the deadliest, darkest days in U.S. Special Operations history. It refers to the mission in Afghanistan's Kunar province and the search for the anti-coalition militia led by the notorious Ahmed Shah. The mission used Special Operations Forces units and assets, including members of U.S. Navy SEALs, U.S. Army Special Operation Command's 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment for the opening phase of the operation. A team of four Navy SEALs tasked for surveillance and reconnaissance of a group of structures fell into ambush by Shah just hours after inserting into the area. Three of the four SEALs were killed. And then the Quick Reaction Force helicopter sent in for their aid was shot down by an RPG killing all eight U.S. Navy SEALs and all eight U.S. Army Special Operations aviators on board. These are some of the actual sounds of that firefight from Intel footage as published by Downrange Films on YouTube. The operation then became known as Red Wings 2 and lasted approximately three weeks more, during which time the bodies of the deceased SEALs and Army Spec Op aviators were recovered. And the only surviving member of the initial team, Marcus Luttrell, was rescued. If the name and the story sounds familiar, it's because we know of it from the book Lone Survivor, the eyewitness account of Operation Red Wing and the lost heroes of SEAL Team 10 written by Patrick Robinson, based on unrecorded interviews with Marcus Luttrell. The reality is, is dark. It, it's gritty. It's not something you would make a Hollywood movie about. You know, it's not nice. War isn't a nice thing. And in the aftermath, what you're seeing is the Navy trying to spin it into this Hollywood narrative. They want to turn it into something heroic. They want every sacrifice to be heroic, to be something, you know, remarkable. And seeing the services, the inter-service rivalry uh, between the Air Force and the Navy in this case is really interesting to see unfold. It's almost like a, a clash between what the public wants to believe or what the Navy wants the public to believe about warfare and what it actually is. Do you know whose package was up first? Like, for instance, was the Air Force Chapman, was his package up first and then the Navy put in 
for Slabinski's to change sort of how that looked or to put it in competition with that? Or were these just two hands not talking to each other, both submitting award packages for their beloved fallen brothers, um, unaware that they were going to be in conflict with each other? I don't have any specific insight to that personally. Um, I can I only know about that what I read in uh, Sean Naylor's article that he wrote in Newsweek. Right. Um, and, and his story is about you know how the Air Force was submitting for the Medal of Honor and the Navy did it kind of out of spite, you know, to make it you know to, so that they could try to lock in their story instead of the Air Force's story. Um, so I, I don't have any personal insight beyond that. Mm. Sadly, it does seem like an intersection where bureaucracy trumps bravery, and that should really never be the case. I, I, I don't know uh, Britt Slabinski um, personally, but I mean, I have to have some sympathy for him in this case. I mean, he is in a really bad situation, um, you know, being kind of caught in the middle of all of this. And uh, I'm sure it's not something that he ever asked for. Indeed. And in fact, the quiet professional Although, to, to some degree, that's becoming lesser of a term, you know, in the new yeah, yeah, in the sure. new world we live in, where everybody has a book or a, you know some kind of special uh, created about them. But for the most part, you know, you guys don't do what you do for the honor. You don't do it for ratings. I'm sure it's a it's an event that probably I have to imagine that uh, the people involved don't care to relive every day, and it's probably something that you know keeps them up at night. I mean, that was a that entire operation was just a, a disaster in so many different ways. I want to ask this real quick, just because I found it interesting, again, as a Navy guy that was from the fleet, um, how many different layers of services were involved in this Operation Anaconda? And in fact, it speaks to the my greater interest in all of these kind of special missions. There's Army Rangers, there's SEALs involved. Um, yeah. There were MARSOC guys, and that'd be Marine Corps, that were somehow you no, know, involved, there, there couldn't right? have been MARSOC because they hadn't been established yet, but Marines, uh, yes. And then there's one of the brave fallen service members from the Air Force in Tech Sergeant Chapman. Now, the Air Force gets involved in these. How many, how many times have you seen this variety of services combined on one mission? Uh, it happens all the time. Um, the Air Force guys, the, the ones that special operations um, soldiers typically operate on the ground with, they are uh, JTACs uh, or TACPs, or there's a couple of different acronyms out there, but they are Air Force specialists who talk to um, aviation assets, um, call in fire, coordinate ISR, um, you know, drones, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, that started happening actually very early on in the war when Air Force personnel, JTACs, TACPs were assigned to um, Special Forces ODAs in Afghanistan. And after that, it almost became um, sort of like standard operating procedure that every soft team wanted one of these guys along with them because of uh, you know what they brought to the table. Fascinating how it all works, how at our core we're very purple. All of the special operations units, they had different color designations, right? There was Rangers were red, uh, SEAL Team 6 was blue, um, 160th Special Operations was brown. I mean, what happened was we took all these task force colors, we put them in a bowl and just mixed them up. So, yeah, it, it is kind of purple at the end of the day. <laughs> well, I know between all the services and the branches, we love to give each other crap, but uh, at the core of all of it are the men and women that we got the utmost respect for. Now, is there a takeaway for these, uh, you know, for everybody on the sidelines when they read these stories, having been there in the community? 
Well, I think, you know, you're seeing it definitely in this case, and we're also seeing it unfold right now regarding the um, ambush in Niger in which four special forces soldiers were killed. And the Pentagon machine is just taking over and trying to throw that team under the bus. Um, You're even seeing lawmakers pretend as if they were never briefed on what our troops were doing in Africa. It's all this finger pointing, um, people acting as if they had no idea what was going on. And they're trying to blame the uh, the lowest ranking soldiers so that the colonels and the generals can escape any kind of scrutiny. Um, I, I think that you know, readers, um, American taxpayers should look at that stuff and they should hold their government accountable and uh, not let careerism trump the uh, professionalism and in some cases the heroism of our soldiers who are actually engaged in combat. And I suppose essentially telling the American reader and the American viewer, you know, don't believe everything you see or hear. Take the time, maybe go read another uh, another article, but don't just take the surface word that's put out in the media. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we live in an era of, uh, you know, quote unquote, fake news. But at the same time, in, in regard to some of these issues we've been discussing, the Pentagon has been the worst source of news. They've had the most the least accurate information about these subjects some, since day one. So, yes, people should express some skepticism. And I know we can always get it at softrep.com, and we really appreciate the reporting that you and all the other uh, special operator turned journalists that are on your staff are doing. Um, You know, while I gotcha, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about another one that seems to be out in the news cycle lately. Uh, And that was the SEALs and uh, those members that tested positive for cocaine and methamphetamines. I believe in the Twitter sphere somewhere you had given me cause for pause there to think a little deeper about this, and that is that while they certainly tested positive for the drugs that were found in their system, drugs and certainly things that keep you awake are not uncommon in the special operations community and may be actually rooted in the government? It's an interesting question, and I don't fully have the answer myself, but I think it certainly deserves further scrutiny, is, um, yeah, these units, um, the SEALs are obviously struggling with um, some drug issues and, you know, the meth and the coke and all of that has been going on for a long time, and it looks like maybe they're finally starting to crack down on it. But the question I was raising was, if we have been giving these soldiers um, uppers, um, there's one drug called Dex um, that I, I believe is what's handed out to operators um, to keep them awake over long periods of time. If we've been giving those to soldiers um, since, you know, 2003, 2004, whatever the case is, are guys getting addicted to it? And are they carrying that addiction back home with them and using uh, methamphetamines or other um, pills or drugs to um, keep that addiction going. And I, I don't know if that's the case, but if it is, I mean, they are handing out these, these pills overseas. So if the addiction is something they're bringing back home from deployment with them, I think it changes things a little bit in the sense that it means our government also bears some responsibility here and you know has some responsibility to get these guys some help. Now let's stop right there and get our head around that. Read any of the reports about this incident, and you'll find a dry, emotionless statement. Connecting Vets reporter Matt Saintsing wrote an article called Seal Team Sniff, the 11 sailors that popped positive for cocaine and meth. And in it, he got a quote from Navy Commander Tamara Lawrence, who said regarding the situation in a statement, we have a zero tolerance policy for the use of illicit drugs. And as such, these individuals will be held accountable for their actions. We are confident in our drug testing procedures 
and will continue to impress on all members of the command that illicit drugs are incompatible with the SEAL ethos and naval service. Now, it's great to have confidence in your drug testing procedures, but where's your confidence in the special operations warfighters in your command? It doesn't look good, so we'll just kick him out and say it's all their fault. I was curious if Jack ever saw this firsthand. I mean, I wouldn't say it's common. I was never given it, for instance. Um, but, I mean, I've talked to people. I know in, in Dev Group, for instance, they definitely had access to it, and it was handed out to them as uh, not as something that was illicit. It was something that was known and understood and, you know, okay, this is what your doc has authorized you to do. And it's happening in the same era that we're seeing, uh, you know, the ill effects of the combat cocktail for those that aren't special operators, but just those that come home have con- gone to the VA and received sleeping medicines on top of uh, anti-anxiety, on top of, you know, some other really nasty things. And the combination of the SSRIs and some of the benzodiazepines, when their scripts run out, it's totally plausible to see why the dealer around the corner would suddenly be a fine substitute and boom, the next thing you know, you're on the A-train to addiction. You know, you're popping pills, switch your game up to some heroin. I mean, boom, you're an addict and... You didn't start out that way. You know, you didn't join the military damaged goods. You are what you have been made. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And there's not a lot of research done on what happens when you mix different medications either. You know, it's something that hasn't been fully explored. But, yeah, I mean, if these guys are getting addicted to drugs at VA, you know, prescription drugs, I, I mean, it's something we need to take a closer look at and be a little bit more receptive to what these guys are going through and see if there's some actions we can take to, you know, make things better. Do you feel this kind of substantiates um, recent legislation like uh, the Medicinal Cannabis Act, where we should be pushing the VA to do some research, at least, on maybe a different kind of medicine so as we're not setting these guys up to go down the wrong road? I acknowledge that there's probably some use for medicinal marijuana. Um, Funnily enough, I'm actually interviewing somebody tomorrow about um, using MDMA to treat people with PTSD. Uh, I have no idea where that conversation is going to go, but it'll be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we could definitely do more work in that that field and um, see if there are some better ways to treat these guys rather than handing out prescription drugs to them. Outstanding. And by the way, when you're done with that conversation, I want to hear it because, uh, you know, the thought of uh, you having a discussion about Molly and some glow sticks. I mean, it's, you know, I want to know where that goes, man. You got to, uh, yeah, you got yeah. to copy it's not my normal uh, field of study, but it'll, it'll be an interesting conversation. I'm sure I can see it though. You know, you in a sparkly shirt and that beard, you know, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. You're probably going to kick my ass when you see me for saying that. No, very cool. No, it's where, all good. where do we find out more about you and the great reporting you're doing? Tell me a little bit more about your site. Oh, uh, the website is softrep.com, S-O-F-R-E-P.com. I also have a, uh, a personal website. It's just called jackmurphywrites.com. Um, but I don't know why anyone would really want to um, bore themselves to death looking at that website, but you could if you want. It's there. <laughs> Actually, there is one thing interesting on that website. There's a PDF file, a long article I wrote about Blue Light, which was America's first counterterrorism unit. So there's one thing. There's some original research, something that uh, there's actually at least one good reason to look at that website. Um, Otherwise, I'm on Twitter, at Jack Murphy, RGR. And um, I don't know. That should probably do it. I really appreciate the time, brother. So good to talk to you. You're going to be back, and I'm going to have you back because I'm reaching out to your publicist. you got a book coming out uh, later this year. 
and you guys have lived to see some things. Your insight and your perspective is just a thrill to read from. So um, when that comes out, man, you got to hook me up because I want you back. Thank you. Jack Murphy, softrep.com. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks. Have a good one. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.